Come on now, let's not take let's not take Latari too seriously. Don't, not too serious about church, please, because you know that all of a sudden, right? So this is the happy Sunday, right? Uh, Latare, which is from the introit, um, rejoice Jerusalem or be happy, right? This is the Sunday, be happy. So you even see that in the vestments. One of the two times during the year, the third week of Advent, the fourth week of Lent, we're in the penitential seasons, but um, the Lord knows that that can be a bit grueling, and so he lightens your load, and you even see it in uh, the tenor of the, of the introits, you see it in the colors, everything has a bit more, uh, it's going to be all be okay, you know, hunker down for another couple of weeks, we'll make it through Holy Week, and life is going to be fabulous. So you get just a little foretaste, there's so many biblical things that are happening already in the fourth week, but uh, rejoice, Jerusalem is the introit. Rejoice, Jerusalem, be happy, Jerusalem, it's all going to sort itself out if you just hold on. So let's pray, and then there's so many things to talk about. O oh God, merciful Father, who did not spare your only Son, but gave him up for us all, that he, the true bread of life, might feed and refresh us, grant, we beg you, that we may receive him gladly and thus be strengthened in every peril and saved for all eternity. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, Amen. So that's you know very kind. Um, the Lord has given us everything from above, and that we would that we would say yes, which is of course uh, the word of faith. A uh, thousand things to do in the offering basket. If you put a million dollars in there, we'll be twenty um, percent of the way to the endowment the Russian church needs to survive. So go ahead, we'll send it to Russia. You put a million bucks in, we'll send it to Russia. How's that? Hey, I know some of you travel to Wisconsin, and I know what happens in a state like that, right? People win the Powerball. So, you know, just remember. You know, we will do with your Powerball winnings what the Salvation Army did with the, um, you know, gangster money they took from Capone and everybody else. They recycle it and do good for people, so we will do that. We're never going to get through uh, what I've given you today, but I gave it to you anyway. So hold on to it. Try to bring it back, because there's always this... You know, people look askance at me for killing so many trees. But my great defense always, as I've told you, is Leonardo DiCaprio's eyebrow specialist. You remember that a few years ago for the Oscars, he flew his eyebrow specialist in from Australia on a private jet. So when anybody shames me for my energy use or my environmental stance, I'm kind of like, at least I don't fly my eyebrow specialist in from, right? It's very hard for people who, you know, are... Very hard to, for people to shame me who arrive alone in a 20-passenger limousine and then have all these lights on them that take more um, energy in a night than my house takes for a year. It's uh, no sin, no guilt. You learned this in catechumen. So here we go. Um, there's a zillion things to think about. Now, Yonker would have me say that his friend, yeah, there you are. Is it this Wednesday? No. Week from Wednesday. April 10th. April 10th. This um, this man, Ted, who is a very nice lawyer, occasionally he comes in and he says, you know, you should get your affairs in order. Just let me say, you should get your affairs in order. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, he's a nice Catholic man. He prays for me and he makes me cookies. So what further need of witnesses, <laughs> right? But other than that, I don't have any connection with him. Other than that, I know he's a faithful guy. We tried to pick somebody from outside the congregation so we wouldn't be seeing his favor and everybody. But if you need help or even need to begin to think about a will or a trust. Every year, you know, three or four or five people use them. You can use somebody else. I myself actually use somebody else. Sorry, Ted. Just to kind of keep the lines all clean. But um, 
you know, if you want to think about that, that would be uh, that would be a good thing for you to do. He comes over once a year, once every other year, kind of make things right. Uh, I do want to say, so you remember this is why your Lent is so uh, busy. You remember that the disciplines order time and space, right? So prayer orders your day. The Sabbath today orders your week. Feast days order your year. And then a pilgrimage, a Camino, once in your life to Jerusalem or somewhere, right? And so that's, this orders your time and this orders space. Fasting orders your bodily space. Tithing orders your workplace space. And the Eucharist orders our community space then within the world. So what can happen is if you actually take this seriously over the time of Lent and you're tending, um, you know, many of you are tending four or five or six of these things, right? It can be a bit weighty. And I can see it in some people as I talk to them. You know, the, um, your, pr- your prayer started so wonderfully and everything was working out. And then, you know, there can be this, I'm just going to do it. Or you're fasting. Everything was, you know, okay. And then, holy cow, you know, another couple of weeks. Yeah, this is how it works. Everybody has this. You have these um, great joyous periods. And everybody has these uh, dry periods. Normal stuff. And you are spared by the discipline. You put one foot in front of the other, and you do it. You do it, you do it. And the payoff is unbelievable. If you've committed to prayer over this time, you will not know really what it's done to you till six months from now or a year from now. If you've committed for, to fasting, you, you may not see it for a year or two years or maybe ever. Remember? Transfiguration. Can't see your life in real time, but Jesus goes with you, and it's all going to work out. Look, you just do what Jesus asks you to do. So the prayer for this morning, Latari. So Jesus comes to you, right? And he says, have all of this, the sermon, have all of this. The father stops the son before he can make a deal or explain himself. You can't explain away your sins, but he gives him all the gifts. And then this child rejoices in the gifts that are given. That's the Christian life. So I just want to encourage you, you know, kind of keep going. Just one other thing. Um, a couple of you asked me about this. Yes, we are going to try to get Miguel's family here for um, graduation. So in May, his family will be a guest of ours for a few days out of the 10 or 12 days they're here. Um, no, we're not going to take a door offering for it because at St. John we don't take door offerings because if there's none of these that says door offering, right? So I don't know what I would do with it if you tried to have one. But um, if you are regularly, you know, in tithing and giving alms, um, you know, this is one of the great things about St. John. You're generous, and there's always, you know, money turned around in the manna fund or something else, and we're not a bank, so we need to spend that. So, you know, when you give to the manna fund, for example, or if you're interested in Miguel's family being here, those kinds of things, you just give it to the manna fund like your normal course, right? This is the thing we normally, normally do. This is the same way we were able to send him with Dr. Just to Israel because, you know, somebody had given me money literally 12 years ago that was like over here waiting for a good purpose. And then a good purpose was a little continuing ed for Miguel. That's a good thing, right? So you're generous and then the time comes and you plant now and you reap later. Just don't despair. The fourth week is to... This is what we're doing. We're going to keep doing it. We all know we're doing it. Here we go. Easter's on the way. 
Just stick in there. It all works out. It's always worked out. It'll work out. Just do your work, right? Just do your work. Boom. Just keep going. So for all of you, please, please. Um, a couple of things. One is I gave you, so I sort of reveal myself, but in my own prayers this week, I came across these prayers, which I thought were apropos for the middle of Lent. So I use a bunch of different things. And I know that uh, you know sometimes we're resistant to pray other people's prayers. I actually find praying other people's prayers, especially of the saints and of the liturgies, I find it uh, nourishing because sometimes from learning, these are things I would never pray for, and sometimes from courage. So, I mean, I dare you, take this home and pray this for Lent. Lord, you've told us to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. Indisputable, right? As Christ prayed for his tormentors from the cross, and so we dare, right? Lord, have mercy. Look at this, right? Just This is the difference between the church and the world. If you need to know the difference, here it is in one page. Give peace to those who have destroyed our peace. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Grant love to those who have refused us love. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Protect from injury those who have done us injury. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Grant success to those who have competed with us to our loss. Lord, have mercy. Give prosperity to those who have taken what was ours. Lord, have mercy. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Jesus that um, was wandering through Galilee and gets nailed to a cross. This is extraordinarily brave. If you're an envious person by nature, everybody has things, you know. Envy may be your thing. This is a great prayer for you, to bless people who took what you always wanted, right? If you're um, an angry person, this is a great prayer for you. Give peace to those who have destroyed our peace. If you're the one kid in your family who was always left out, grant love to those who have refused us love. You, I mean, this is your whole life right here. But I would suggest, well, I'll just speak for myself. I would never sit down with a pencil and a paper. I would, I would drop dead before I would get each of those petitions out, right? So this is the joy of, you know, the liturgy, one. If it's in the liturgy, it's so. And number two, um, man, I'm not that good. Maybe you are, and if you are, do whatever you're doing. But if not, um, borrow from your friends, okay? There you go. All right, so enough, uh, just a little, little prelude there. There's always things to talk about. As I've told you, you know, the real work of the church gets done in this room at this time every week. It's not going to get done in a voters meeting. We don't have enough time. It's not going to get done on a phone with me, although I'm happy to hear from you because there's not enough people listening in. The real work, if you want to know what's going on in St. John, this is the place where you find out what's going on. Everything important happens in this room, but occasionally it's important to say um, this is the thing that's, that's, that's going on here. So keep the disciplines. Keep going. They work out. The church has um, survived all comers now for two or 4,000 years, depending on how you count your history. And it's all going to be okay. And let me remind you that when you come to break the fast on Easter, uh, as much as you rejoice, be very careful with yourself, especially if you've been fasting, because you'll frankly make yourself sick. 
right? You have to just be very, 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 very careful with all that's been done. Can you believe we've done all that this year? It's crazy, right? It's the sort of thing that keeps you awake at night. All right, questions about anything? Just about your own prayers, church, um, Easter, Lent, anything you want to know? Already, if you have young kids, I had two questions already this morning. If you have young kids who should come to the Eucharist, plans are already in the work. Same dealio as always. Bring your kids to Pastor Nelson's class, Pastor Buke's class in the summertime, and you come too, and then we'll negotiate as we go. Because it's very nice for us to go across the aisle. You know, the questions are like this. What is that, the body of Jesus? I want that. You should want that. Why can't I have that? Because your mother says so. Yeah, I'm not taking the rap on this. I mean, if you didn't, uh, you know what? Uh, occasionally they'd look up, up like, well, talk to your mother and Pastor Nelson. So, hey, but I'm not being the bad guy. It's part of the fun of being senior pastor. I got people to blame. Okay, so good. All right, y'all good? Anything, question about anything? Keep going. You know, we only meet about four or five more times before summer, and then, like, that's it. So we've got a, a lot of things to do. This very, very kind image of carrying people to Jesus. We started with the image of borrowing things and giving them to our friends. So suppose somebody comes to you in the middle of the night and you've got nothing. What do you do? You go next door and borrow things. Where do you borrow them? From Jesus. And you give them to other people. (coughs) So this very nice way that Jesus uses you for the good of other people Jesus lets you borrow his things and give them away. It's a beautiful image of the church. Also, now today, is the reverse. We reverse the flow. So you don't go to Jesus. You go over here to Jesus and you borrow some things, and then you take them over to those people who are in need. The other possibility is that you would carry somebody back to Jesus. And the the scriptures are filled with stories about those who carry other people to Jesus. This is, um, you know, this is at the heart of being a congregation that is open, that's engaged in the world, that cares about things outside their walls. You will see. Just wait. So, uh, and, and I must say, this lecture is entirely stolen from John Kleinig, except for the bad parts. So... Uh, <laughs> Anything that's wonderful here, you can, you can uh, attribute to Kleinig. I, heard, I first heard this back in 2011 when he and I gave a, a group of a set of lectures together. And, of course, uh, you know, it's stunning sort of when you hear it from him. One, because he's handsome and he's Australian. And then every, you know, every woman in the room goes, who is that man? <laughs> right? So, uh, you, know, and, you know, John and his, and he's coming back this year, God willing. Uh, you know, his health, he's getting older and. We have to make more accommodation for him because it's a long flight to Australia, and every year that's a tough flight. But he is, you know, he's a man among men. But anyway, so most of what you hear here, um, you know, I learned from John, or it comes from his lecture. So I want to give him credit, except if there are mistakes, then I'll take uh, credit for that. So in mythology, you remember Atlas carries the world on his shoulders. Actually, he carries the, the heavens, the whole universe on his shoulders. But in, at least in this case, you usually see it represented as a globe on his shoulders. This, of course, is why you call your book of maps an Because Atlas is the one who carries the world. When the first book of maps started, or when books of maps started to come out, you know, in, Re- in Reformation times, 1500s, you know, the compilation with the printing press, these were called an atlas. Why? So he 
carries the world on his shoulders. This is a very simple image for what you do for other people as you bring them to Jesus. So in prayer, this is point number two, for those of you who think I'm lost already, point number two is that uh, the church carries the world on its shoulders. So I've told you this story, which I like very much. A man says to a monk, you pray all the time and nothing happens. And then the monk says, can you imagine what would happen if I stopped praying? Yes, I'm very, um, you know, I, I know that it, you can't prove the counterfactual, you who are philosophy majors. But it at least poses the question, and it has interested people forever. If I stopped praying, what would happen? Right? If I stopped praying, what would happen if you stopped praying? What would happen is the world would get worse and worse. But the world does not self-destruct because of the prayers of the church. The prayers of a righteous person avail much. And so, you know, there was an old story among the rabbis that if everybody prayed at once, if all the faithful prayed at once, time would end and the Messiah would return. Right? So you have this strong sense of saying the prayers as a gift to the world. Now, I gave you from the vicar, um, you have a thing that says prayer of the church, fourth Sunday, this is what you're going to hear today. So I just want to explain this a little bit because sometimes you might think it clips by you, but I want to explain what's happening in the prayers of the church. So this is the, these, actually this, this was yesterday's version. We already have people added to the prayers for today, so this isn't going to be exactly right. But this is the way, way the prayers are arranged. I've got it there. The prayers of the church are always arranged, general to specific, and church to world. So if you're listening, and if you're listening for a particular prayer, in, you know, over, in an overarching way, the prayers are always general to specific and church to world. So general, and then general church, and then you know, and specific church, and then so general to specific, specific, church, specific world, right? General to specific, church to world. That's generally, that's you know, in an overarching way. And they're always said in an odd number. This is one of the very few things that I do that I don't know the reason why. And I've never met anybody who knows the reason why. But in uh, liturgical circles, prayers always come one, three, five, seven, nine. I ask all around. People don't know. I mean, this is even crazier. You know, there's a, there's a church in France where the priest, when he says the words of institution, takes a step to the left, pauses a moment, and then takes a step to the right. And then people say, why does he do that? He did that because in the Second World War, during the mass, um, a bomb came through, smacked right at the altar, but didn't explode. It was a dud and didn't kill anybody. So in that particular parish, when they say the Berber, they step to the side, remembering that the bomb fell but didn't blow them all up. Local custom, right? But in general, you should know. So, well, the problem is people go to that church and then, priests go home to their home church, and then they say the verb, and all of a sudden they're doing this. And people are going, yeah, so only if the bomb falls and doesn't hit you. You'll notice then, we always start with the church, and you'll notice that the vicars are always in charge of the names. Now, if they use the same names, I gave you 100 or 200 names earlier about praying the names. If they use the same name every week, you've got to bump and nudge the vicars to get busy. But you'll notice then for the church, oh, Lord, our righteousness, we always pray for persecuted Christians, we sort of scan the websites and see where the violence is against Christians in the world. You know, um, 
I don't want these things to compete. Uh, yeah, I can hear it. So uh, yeah, I'm just going to shut my microphone for a second. Um, Hey, Mary, I'm back, and I still love you. Okay, there you go. So we, sco we scooch around. We pray for our Bishop Matthew. You might know him as, or our, our Bishops Matthew and Alan. You might know them as the president and the district president coming right to you. But in our confessions, it says bishops, so we're going to make them be bishops. And then for our pastors in place, and then for our vicar and our congregation, yes, please. Um, how do you get to the partner church? Um, there's the Missouri Synod has churches that we've said, we're all in it together. All around the world, you can go to the LCMS website and they list all the partner churches all around the world, right? Yeah, so you can, and we just go to that list and we just remember boom, 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 boom each week, right? Um, then we keep going, people who have things that they need, people who are married, people who have recovered. It's always nice, not only that we pray when you're sick, but when you call us and say, hey, you can take me off the list because I'm better. Now, there's a big secret in the... Um, people that we pray for. There's two or three things you should notice there. Is there anything that you notice here that might be different from other parishes or what you may not be used to? Do you, is there anything you notice here? First name. And we pray in eights. Thank you very much. So two things. We pray by first names. Your last name, Hydorn, that's the one you got at the hospital, right? But Byron is the one that Jesus gave you at the font. So we use the name that Jesus named you so it doesn't go like... And we pray for high, we're like, which Hydorn? There's so many Hydorns around. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Hydorn. Which one? No, it's Byron is the guy who needs our help. And then we also pray in eights. Of course, you know this. Why eights? Because eight is the number of resurrection and recovery and new life. Now, we don't, you know, we're not so, if we get a ninth one, we may, or sometimes you have this thing about, and her unborn child is how we end today. Is that two or is that one? Yeah, it's both. So, you know, don't, don't, so, don't sort of, like, don't lean on it too heavily. But um, if you listen, you'll hear them come in eights. And, of course, if you need to know the rest of the details, this isn't your daily service announcement. This is going to the altar of God with the access you've been given by your baptism as a brother of Jesus, along with the Holy Spirit who's praying for you, and saying, we've got people here in this congregation, we've got friends who are in desperate need, and the only way that they'll be healed is if we carry them to you and lay them down in front of you. Boom. That's what's happening here. So this is not an announcement. This is serious business. This is taking the baptized to Jesus and begging that he would go to his father and remember them as great physician. So eights and first names, okay? And then people who travel, uh, the underemployed and unemployed, we try to do once a week. The vicars get um, two or three pages like this with kind of sample prayers and sample arrangements. So it's their job to pull this all together. And then always, of course, we started with our baptism, we wander, uh, and then we come back around to everybody who's coming to the altar today. So what was given in baptism is nourished at the altar. What Jesus blessed you with at your baptism, the beginning of your life, your life will end in the feast you know, of all the saints, Revelation, by the altar. Who are these people? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. This is you. So we pray you through your entire life. What was given at baptism is nourished in the Holy Supper until the day you die. Okay? So I just occasionally I want to say that to you so that you tend it, pay attention. You have to do a little work. It's, they're in, for example, the details on sick people who are in life together. Open it up and have a look. But that's where we're going, right? Everything means something. Everything means something. 
even, even that we pray in eights. Okay, questions about any of that? Yes, Judy. Where's the ad? Are you telling me it's not odd? What's that? Sorry. Count the number of petitions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There you go. Church, marriage, banks. Okay, so it's the number of petitions. Number of petitions. But it should happen even with uh, colics, for example. So, you know, I might indict ourselves if we got this wrong. But, for example, at, if you come to Tazay, we kneel down to pray, there's three. One, two, three. Boom, 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 right? So they always sort of, and then there's always the technical thing, do you count the Lord's Prayer? Or the, you know. But in any case, you know, it just gives form so that the most dangerous thing is a pastor who goes rogue, right? Which is, I'm doing anything I want 52 times a year because I'm the smartest man that ever lived in the last two or 4,000 years. Don't worry, it's all going to be fine. You just sit there and enjoy it. Stick with the liturgy, right? Boom, boom, boom. And even we are meant to be obedient to things that we may not understand. You know, bump and a nudge, okay. Every generation brings its best, okay. But just to wholesale act like we know what's going on and everybody who ever went before us, and people, including people who were, say, skinned alive and torn apart by lions, were way better than them. Flee, run, right? We still have it um, pretty easily. Hey, man, I am cooking, right? We're a half hour in. I've done two points. How are you feeling about the pace? <laughs> feeling good? <laughs> Occasional pressure. Um, so I'm asking that you would, here's where we're going. I want you to think about this quite personally. I want to think about, or I would like you to think about, when you um, sit down for your prayers or kneel down for your prayers or bring, come to church for, with your prayers, I'd like, to think of, I'd like you to think this way, that you are carrying your worries and your cares and your troubles and your spouse and your kids and your friends and your congregation and the people whom you love and the people whom you hate, your friends and your enemies. You're carrying these people, um, you're carrying them to the altar every Sunday, right? Just turn the page. Um, this, was, this was so nice when I heard John talk about this because in what follows, um, I'd often felt this. One of the great things, you know, this is, again, because you're generous, we can have John come. John takes care of us. It lets us take care of other pastors. You know how this all plays out. But one of the great things for us is, you know, there are things I say to John which would make you think I'm crazy. And I often wonder about things, and I, I don't have anybody um, to check them against. You know, there are people over the years that I've had uh, great relationships, Norman Nagel, Ron Forhan, you know, John Kleinig, Arthur, just as a good uh, colleague of mine that we can, we can sort of check things through. And I can, you know, call them up and say, but these guys are getting older now, right? And, and then passing on, and that's more difficult for me. But I've learned a lot over the years from these guys, not just in terms of thinking, but in terms of how they engage um, the church the people who favor them, and then often the people who don't favor them. And what I want to try to do is kind of say that out loud to you because it's not what you think, especially in the election year of the Missouri Senate. So um, many people are so frustrated that their congregation isn't growing. And so sometimes you even hear, you know, church officials to say, we've just given up on that congregation, they have 50 people, or... Let the dead bury their own dead. We're interested in, you know, 
kind of think, holy cow, you know, you're talking about baptized people who got, of course they've done stupid things, of course nobody ever taught them to tithe, of course, of course, of course, of course, I get all of that, okay? But we really need to measure our frustration against our own lack of prayer, our own lack of generosity, our own lack of leadership, our own lack of kindness. So just be very careful, especially, you know, things are ramping up in the Missouri Center, then they always do this every three years, and sorry, we always do this every three years, right? But so many people are frustrated in so many ways. The congregation isn't growing, that their own people from their own families don't go to church, that their baptized children have stopped coming to church. 25 times since I've been here, I've sat with many of you who have grandchildren who are unbaptized. And the question always is, yeah, what about that? You know, I babysit them, and they do need a bath at the end of the day. And we got that old TLH hymnal on the very back page, and, you know, is it an emergency if your kids don't baptize your grandchildren? These are very good questions, of course. And they can... Um, weigh heavily on us, especially because um, people around us perhaps don't care. Right? It's hard. What you care about most in your life, people you love dearly, don't care about parents, kids, grandkids. And of course, the question is there, you know, what to do, right? But even before you can react, you know, to increase the pain, the devil gets a hold of us. You know, and starts to say, hey, if you'd have been a better parent, or if you'd have been a better kid, or if you'd have been a better pastor, or if you'd have had a better congregation, or if you would have, if you would have. And of course, this is, um, you know, the great work of the devil. You remember the word Satan was the, I think it's um, located from in Persia, it was the, it was the name for the man who worked for the Postal Service who used to try to bribe people to interrupt the flow of the mail, right? This is what Satan does. He lures you to sin. And then when you sin, he is the first to condemn you, the great accuser, as the scriptures say, right? So he says to you, good families have all their children in church. Good families have all their kids baptized. You can hear this. And one of the hardest things is that pastors can weigh in on this often. You know, the rookie mistake is to say, well, if you were just a little better person, right? If you just tried a little harder, if you wouldn't have made all these mistakes with, if you wouldn't have taken that time when you skipped, right? If you would have sent your kids to school at, And for people who are already wounded, you know, the weight becomes almost unbearable. And what can happen is that even though people you think in your condemnation you are just, and you shall build up a burden that is hard to bear until it breaks them, because somewhere along the way you've heard that only broken people, right, and it's your job to break them, you're doing Satan's work at this point. You can break people in the wrong direction, which is to discourage them so that they never come to church again, right? 
So what is it that you should do? You pray for people. You cannot make anybody else do anything beyond the age of eight or nine. You can try, right? And you can increase the pressure. You can turn it up to 11 if you want. Testing, testing. Through what you watch on Netflix. Yes, you can. But, um, you know, ratcheting it back down isn't that easy. I just, I just, I just, you know, a little more empathy for how hard life is and how people suffer. And the most faithful often suffer the most because that's the thing that eats at them. They're not the sort of person who can go to bed at night and just say, well, it's all just going to be okay. It's all just going to be okay. Jesus didn't really mean any of that, right? So, um, you know, they don't know what they've done, but all of a sudden all the past conflicts, was I too hard, was I too soft, did I work too much, I wasn't home enough, should we have done that, too much travel soccer, we skipped confirmation, how about this, how about that? And all the past conflicts and failures with friends and families and kids, they all get, you know, tossed into the bin, they all get heated up. And then, you know, accusation starts, and after accusation comes condemnation, and People get guilty consciences, and then they're discouraged. And the hardest thing is, um, you know, especially for faithful people, that maybe they're not faithful at all. Maybe they were deluded the whole time, right? Two things about that. One is, I'm gonna, we're not going to do it today, but we'll get to it line by line by next week. But what you have on the front of the bulletin today is one of the most brilliant you know, 500-word pieces ever written about the distinction between law and gospel, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful piece that Norman Nagel wrote some years ago. Uh, it's a wonderful piece. We'll come to it line by line next week. But the difference between loving people and hating them and uh, how you should live in your own life. So one thing. And then the other thing, you know, the piece I like to run for you every once in a while, that was written by Father Reardon, an Orthodox priest in Chicago, where he talks about why. You probably remember this, but I try to run it for you once in a while because there are things you need to hear again and again. When he talks about how a pastor can't, in good conscience, sit on a jury because the pastor is always on the side of the accused. He just talked this away. We'll talk more about private absolution later, but... You come to private, you come to private absolution to gain an ally. The reason you come to private absolution is so that somebody else, you come to church to have an ally. I am your advocate. I am not your judge. I won't discipline your kids at the door. If you send your kids in to me to straighten them out, we'll probably giggle at you together. And, of course, what happens then? Your kids tell me things that they don't tell you. And that's good because they have to tell somebody. And then I can say, you know, if you do that, you will drive your parents absolutely out of their minds. You're aware of this, right? Pause. Yeah, I hope our paychecks go through next week. So what do you do? 
what do you do? I mean, you bring them to Jesus. I mean, what did Jesus tell you to do? Does he, does he say to you, oh, no, what you should do about your life is despair and act like Satan. Just join him. It's all going to be good. Accuse everybody. Accuse yourself. Go straight to hell. This is all going to work out. This is what Lent's all about. What does Jesus say? Jesus says you should pray for people. The very simple answer, and I'm going to just say, you know, I'm going to get, this is not going to, this is not the party line, but here goes. The very simple answer is, don't nag. Don't take your King James Version and bash them over the head. Don't criticize them. Pray for them. Now, before the cards and letters pour in and I have to clip another big chunk out of Bible study, so people say, why is only 17 minutes recorded? Yeah, the proper application of law and gospel, the proper application. We'll talk about this over the next week or so, or when we come back to it next week. But the proper application, Walther, the minimum force necessary, Walther, for you who love him, when he says to young, he says the rookie mistake for young pastors who preach is they forget that they're preaching to the redeemed. They treat their congregation as if they're pagans. They don't treat their congregation as if these are people who are baptized, come to the Eucharist, and it's killing them that nothing is working out. The minimum force necessary whenever force is applied. For you who are going to seminary, you preach the law only until it pinches. And when it pinches, it has done its work, and you stop. And you always make sure sin abounds, and grace abounds all the more, super abounds. There's enough law to do the trick, and then you flood people with the gospel because you all know the one stock that you sold at a loss bothers you much more than the happiness you get from the ten that, you know, this is, this is all, you know, everybody knows this. We've developed fear. We move from things that hurt us. They preoccupy us. One of the reasons we can never be happy. So the simple answer is that we act like Christians. I said this to you other ways. We don't have an apologetic. We are an apologetic. Right? St. Francis of Assisi preached the gospel. If necessary, use words. Of course, you can't tell what a miracle means unless Jesus explains it. But he doesn't explain everything before he does it. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. The gospel for today, the lead is what? Eucharistic hospitality. Loving people who are not like us. Opening the door and letting everybody in. If you're a Jew and you eat with a Gentile, you are defiled unless you are the person who undefiles everybody else, surprise, right? Everybody needs to calm down with their condemnation of other people. Nobody wants to be anywhere where they are isolated, singled out, and condemned over and over again. People only return because there is grace in the one who's calling them. So, and you you have to, so much to talk about. You have to think about this in terms of how people see the church, right? I think we we did this a few years ago, the Archdiocese of Peoria. 
you know, they had a, they took a poll and they said, you know, what do people think about us? This is maybe 10 years ago, but it's got to be even truer now. The overwhelming, the overwhelming, what do you think? I mean, if you are a happy person, you know, and you love the baby Jesus, and you took a poll and you said, what do people think about us? What would you want people to say? What would you want them to say? Yeah, people love us. What else would you want them to say? Welcoming, they welcome us. What else? What? What else would you want them to say? If you said, what do people think about the church? Caring. Yeah, they care for us. They take care of the poor. Feed the hungry. Yeah, what was the number one response? Can you guess? They judge us. So the church always has, even you, even... So I'm, I should feel like, man, this is a long day of turning off my microphone. I'm going to my 40th college reunion. They have this page you're supposed to fill out and say, what you do? Yeah, I'm looking at all of you thinking, yeah, I'm going to tell them about this. <laughs> right? What do people think, right? We just gave Miguel, uh, the vicar, Kirby and I, and had dinner with him, and we, had, we just gave him the... Um, pat him on the back and say, you know, among the things you have to learn is that if you're a pastor, you're inevitably sat at the loser table at a wedding. Don't take it personally. Because <laughs> why? They don't know. They, they sit you with your uncle who has no filter and your, you know, your aunt who drools and, the, you know, the guy who, hey, they put you at the table because nobody knows what to do with you, right? That's who you are. Who would sort of said, you know, just, it's going to be okay. Don't take it personally. Because this is how people think about the church. <laughs> On a happy note, <laughs> overwhelmingly the reason people come to St. John when we talk to them is because they feel like somebody welcomed them when they came in the door. Because somebody engaged them, cared about them, helped them, pointed to the coffee, the bathroom, hang up your coat, go here, talk to your pastor, talk to the pastor if you want to go to the Holy Spirit. Look. It's all about affect. Who, at the bottom line, who do you think you are? And what do you think your purpose is in life? The choices are binary. You may be in complete judgment of the world because you're so much better than everybody. Pastors at the head of the line for this, right? If only these people would have gone to seminary for four years and lived in a dorm room and ate bad food and been with all men. Sure, that's the way to form somebody's soul. Or... Welcome to all these normal people who actually go out into the world every day and take Jesus with them. And they don't take offense, and they live the disciplines, and they're happy because they know that lectare actually means that Jesus will sort it out in the way of the gospel, and that the door to hell is locked from the inside, as Lewis would say. And that the church never stops in its own walls, but the only way it can go beyond its walls to people who actually think that you hate them, and if you had the chance, you would kill them. And if you think that's too strong, go on Google for 15 minutes this, this afternoon and just Google up Christians in the world and see what comes up. Doubly so for pastors. You can have it that way, or you can be the people who would say, welcome, we love you, I'll pray for you, and then actually order your life to do it, right? All right, I'm going to step down off my soapbox now.
and we'll pray, and then we'll come back at it next week, okay? Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, love you all. Remember Wednesday, dinner will be on. If you want to come to Absolution, somebody will be there from 5.30 on to hear all about it.